special edition of our show, Her Story on the Rocks. Typically, Katie and I would be hanging out drinking and talking about a famous woman from history, but sometimes we like to talk about women who are making history and writing about it. Today, we have a very special guest here with us, Wendy Holden. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so pleased to be here. It's really exciting, particularly as you're in Baltimore, which is the the, the birthplace of my heroine. So that's fantastic. Yes, we love her here. I was going to start the show by telling you, like, I know that in world history, she's like a flawed character, but in Baltimore, she's like our Meghan Markle. We love her. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Well, I don't see her as a flawed character. I see her as completely different. I think think she's been badly treated by history. So... Oh, I'm so excited. Wendy is an author and a journalist and is here to talk with us today about her newest book, The Duchess. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, absolutely. I, yeah, I am, I'm a journalist and I've worked on various British newspapers um, at the start of my career. So newspapers like the Sunday Times, the Sunday Telegraph, the Mail on Sunday, and magazines like Harper's Bazaar and Tatler. And it was from those places that I came to write books because my first novel was a, a, a romantic comedy I suppose which was based on a column that I used to write for the Sunday Times um, about a sort of celebrity socialite and that was my kind of journey into writing so I wrote um, comic novels really for ages for sort of about 20 years but I've always actually wanted to be a historical novelist and so when the idea for my first book, The Governors, hit me. That was the start. That was my. That was last year, and then The Duchess kind of grew from that. So it's the sort of fulfilment of something I've always wanted to do. Oh, that's that's so incredible! Well, I'm so glad you wrote this book because it just gives a whole nother perspective of. Wallace Simpson. Um, yeah. And I'm excited to dive in. So we always pair a drink with our book so that when people are sitting at home reading your book, they can have something to drink with it. So our cocktail for your book called The Duchess has an ounce of gin, obviously, for uh, the British half of this, and then some orange juice, because one of our famous cocktails in Maryland is called the Black Eyed Susan, and its base is orange juice, and then some French oh. champagne to top it off for where... Oh, that sounds really, really good. Now, I'm guessing that the, the, the orange juice is because the Black Eyed Susan's got kind of orange middle, yeah? Yeah. It's the, fly, it's the Maryland flower, isn't it? It yeah, is. I know this. I know this because um, I, I was I did a lot of Maryland research. And hang on, I can tell you the bird is the oriole. Yeah, yeah, I know that because of my Wallace research. Yeah, absolutely. There's a scene in the Duchess where she tells the Prince of Wales all about the oriole. So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, so I tried to mix her life together in a little cocktail. Yeah, brilliant. And the cocktail cocktail is really apt as well because she used to mix cocktails for for parties. I mean, she before she met the Prince of Wales, she used to give little cocktail parties and, and all kinds of people came to them. They were famously fantastic parties because she mixed people. And she kind of invented for, for London the idea that you could just kind of drop in and go to a party. Whereas, you know, up until that moment, people had had to ring and make appointments and it was all very formal. And what she did differently was this sort of totally free and easy. You can drop in, I'll be at home between six and eight. Anybody can come, drop by, I'll make a cocktail. And really, that's the way the, the, that she built up her, her social life. So the cocktail could not be more apt. It sounds perfect. <laughs> well, it's, 
tasty. So let's dive more into the setting of the book. Can you tell me a little bit about what it's like for this American woman who's living in England? She's among royals and wealthy people, obviously. What is her place in society? Yeah, well, for Wallace, what would I find really... The reason I wanted to write the book, actually, was, was that I realized that her life particularly to start with in London, hadn't been all that glamorous. In fact, when she came, she came to London in 1928 and she came to marry Ernest Simpson. They, they came to start a new life because she'd had a fairly rocky time in, in America up to that stage. And so when she first arrived in London, she knew nobody. They weren't particularly well off. They, they had a fairly, and, and you know, it, it wasn't the, the, the greatest start, you know, no money, no connections, already divorced once. It wasn't the kind of most brilliant and promising platform in which to enter the very snobbish world of British high society. And she had a very lonely and difficult time. And also on top of that, she, which is one of the reasons I began to become interested in her, because, you know, as you said earlier, she, she has this reputation of being this sort of, you know, glittering, sort of hard, calculating, manipulative woman. But the woman that I came across in her autobiography, and, and which I based the beginning of The Duchess, was this, this, this person who knew nobody in London, who was a stranger, who had a really hard time fitting in, not least because she couldn't actually understand what anybody was saying, you know, because the, the British accents, the Cockney accents in London, she couldn't understand stand them and she did all kinds of things which women in her position didn't normally do so for example she did her own shopping which may sound pretty simple but in the London of the 1920s a woman who ran a house would send her cook out to do the shopping you know but Wallace wanted to do it all herself so she had her own way of doing things which is really unusual so, but she had a very difficult time breaking through. And I really sympathized with this woman who was struggling in London and who really almost gave up and went home. She was so lonely. She was so fed up. And it's a completely different perspective. I call them her Cinderella years, you know, the years before she met the handsome prince. And so really the Duchess is about how she came from that very low base of that very unpromising situation to meeting the Prince of Wales. I, that I was really interested in this. This is a whole new Wallace, a whole new idea of what she was like. And so from there, I began to chart how she found her way into, you know, the glittering, glamorous world of royalty. But when she got there, her Americanness was an enormous advantage because it turned out that the Prince of Wales, he was crazy for America, crazy for Americans. And one of the reasons for that was that he saw America as the country of the future. He Incentive and oh, one a little yeah. bit. Can you say that sentence yeah. again? Sorry, they they were uh, he he loved Americans because they were they were, he saw that the country is a country of the future. They were modern, they were jazzy, they were, and crucially, they were not sycophantic. They did not sort of, you know, creep up to him like people in Britain did because of, of his social status. His father hated America. He'd never been there, George V. He was a very stuffy person. So the fact that his father didn't like it was another reason why he loved America so much. And so when he met, met Wallace, and she was American, she was, he was predisposed to like her. And her, the fact that she came from the States was a huge advantage for her because she could 
um, be this refreshing, this breezy, this almost this irreverent, this jokey person. And the fact that she was foreign also meant that she was the most unsuitable woman in the world to be his his wife. And I think um, we may get onto this later, but I think actually that was a really strong part of the attraction because I don't think he ever wanted to be king. And I think he saw her as a way out. And I think he actually used Wallace to, you know, leave the throne. And she's always blamed for being the person who, you know, took the king from his throne and deprived Britain of this sort of wonderful king. But actually, I think he all along intended to leave it. And when he saw her, she was the perfect excuse. I mean, I think he really loved her, but I think he also saw her as the way out. So there were so many reasons. So what had been a disadvantage when she first arrived, her foreignness became a huge asset when she became part of the Prince of Wales's circle. Um, so let's talk a little more about the situation between um, the King and Wallace, because it, kind of from my understanding is that she really didn't think he was going to abdicate the throne for her. And then when he did, she's now in this situation where this is like a forever situation. Yeah, absolutely. Completely. I don't, I don't think she expected him to abdicate the throne, but I think, I think it's more than that. I mean, I think um, she never, I don't think she expected the relationship to last remotely as long as it did and I think she expected him to dump her any minutes because when she met him he'd already he had two mistresses there not one but two married women that he was um you know that they were his mistresses that he, that he was with and he he got rid of them really unceremoniously, quite cruelly. And she saw this happen. She knew them. One of them in particular was a close friend. And she was the woman through who Wallace met the Prince of Wales. So I don't think she expected her own fate to be any different. I think she just thought, you know, it would last a couple of months. And then he'd get rid of her as he got rid of those. Particularly as she was older than they were. And she wasn't anything like as attractive or wealthy or well-connected, you know, there was no particular reason in her own mind that it would last. However, it did carry on. And I think she thought that when he became king, that would be the next stage when he would probably get rid of her. Because then, of course, he had to think about marrying someone um, and, you know, finding a consort, finding a queen. But again, it went on. So I, so it, the, the, the relationship continued, but I think she all the time expected it to end. And it wasn't until he actually made... Um, Ernest give her a divorce that she started to realize that things were moving out of her control and things were becoming quite confining for her because when she was forced to leave Ernest when she cut who she was very fond of and who she planned to spend her 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 life with really once the relationship with the king was over um she realized she was, she'd been cut adrift then. And it was a very dangerous position for a woman to be in the 1930s in Britain because divorce was hugely scandalous. It was quite unusual in Britain. And the fact that she, it had happened to her not once but twice made her very vulnerable. And it was not a step that she would have taken uh, if, if she'd had any choice about it. So it was from that moment on that, as you say, she, I think she realized that, that things were very were becoming quite difficult and dangerous and she absolutely didn't want him to abdicate begged him not not to leave the throne she was absolutely desperate um for him to stay 
because she knew that she'd be blamed and she also knew that you know what would he do then you know she didn't realize that uh, it was something he'd intended which is what i think you know and it, i think and in the duchess i have this awful moment of realization when she realizes that he'd planned it all along and she was part of of a scheme that she'd had no idea about and it was very difficult it was it must have been a nightmare for her to realize that um this is what he was going to do and there's nothing she could do to stop it yeah, she she definitely, like we said earlier, comes off as a, a villain in history. But a lot of yeah. times when we talk about her on our show, she seems to be such a touchstone because without yeah. this being set in motion, we don't yeah. get Queen Elizabeth II as exactly. the presumptive. And she exactly. has been a rock of the world for like, you know, the last yeah. 90 some yeah. odd years. Exactly. And I think that was the intention. I think that was the whole point because um, I think Edward VIII realized that he was going to be a useless king. You know, he didn't want to be king. I don't think he wanted to have children and I don't think Wallace did either. And that was another one of her attractions for him. But obviously being a king who didn't want kids is, is really not, it's the whole point is that you carry on the line. And so I think his intention always was to when he, because he came, became king quite suddenly and unexpectedly because his father died quite a long time before it was imagined that he would. So he suddenly became king and he was completely horrified. But I think he thought quite soon after that, here's my brother. He's got this crowd-pleasing wife. He's got these two wonderful, adorable daughters. He'd be so much better. And, and of course, he was right. George VI was a great king, particularly during the war. The Queen Mother was a kind of massive hit um, for ages you know for for decades and decades and decades a, a real icon and as you say the queen has been a rock of the world for 70 odd years so yeah so he was right and and i think he did it on purpose that's so interesting and was your goal to get across the theme to kind of humanize wallace simpson like, yeah what- absolutely completely absolutely i felt that she'd been really misjudged by history and i mean i wasn't sort of um you know it, obviously it's quite difficult because a lot of people have got very entrenched opinions about her but what was unusual about about what's different about the duchess is that it it, it looks at her from the looks at these early years and also her background in in America before she came to Britain and she had a very difficult first marriage it's and it's hard to to know all these things about her but the kind of brutal time she had at the hands of her first husband her very difficult early years in London and not sympathize with this woman you know it's 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 hard to see her as this scheming hard-hearted calculating woman which which well actually the 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 um evidence of the time the evidence of other people who you know, may comment in their diaries about Wallace or, or, or leave notes about her in their autobiographies, they're so positive about her. She was pretty popular. You know, lots of people approved of her, of her at the time. And the people that didn't were basically the royal family who had obviously good reasons to hate her. And I think it's because of them, really, that her name has been blackened all these years. But I don't think she was a bad person. And I think she was a quite a fun person. Yeah. How did your relationship with Wallace change while you were writing the book? It just became more, I, I, I mean, I, it had started, and the, the, whole, the whole book had started with my first novel, The Governess, which is a book about the young Scottish teacher who was, was a great influence on the Queen, who sort of shaped her early life. And 
Wallace Simpson came into that story when they were at Balmoral, and the, 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 the governess of the story is called Marion, Marion Crawford, the, the Crawford, they used to call her. And she meets Wallace Simpson in the woods around Balmoral. And, and uh, Wallace has just arrived and she's really upset because she's arrived to find that basically the whole of Scotland hates her. And the reason the whole of Scotland hates her is that she's been, she was met at the station in Aberdeen by the king, uh, which sounds fine, except that it turns out that the king was supposed to have been opening a hospital. Now, this is a kind of a really well-known incident, and, and everybody was furious about it. He's supposed to be opening this hospital, and he went to meet his mistress at the station. You know, shocking, awful, what terrible people. But when I was reading that, I thought, well, hang on a minute. How, she would not have known that. You know, he would have turned up at the station to meet her, and it would just have been, hi, Wallace. You know, and she would, but she would have had no idea that he was supposed to be opening a hospital. He was hardly likely to have told her. So I thought from there... What other things, what other stories are there? What other incidents are there that have a, another angle, you know, that she didn't know? What other things has she been blamed for that aren't actually her fault? And from then on, I started to construct this kind of alternative sort of version of, of the, the well-known story of the abdication. And at that stage, I didn't really think, I hadn't really got to the stage where I thought he did this on purpose, he used her. But it was... The reason I got to that point was the abdication story is a really weird story. It's really bizarre. And most of the bizarre aspects of it are things that the king did. So one of the things that he did, which, which was so inexplicably weird, was that he decided that he was... In 1936, he, it all came to a head in December 1936. This was the point at which Mrs. Simpson emerged into the public eye. This is when the whole crisis broke. This is the point at which he said, I want to marry this woman and I'll give up my throne for her. But he was supposed to be being crowned just a few months later in May of the following year, in May 1937. So if he'd waited just a few more months and been crowned, he would have been so popular because he was so insanely popular anyway, because he was so handsome, so charismatic. If he'd waited a few more months and been crowned, he would have been able to marry her. He would have been able to do anything. He was, would have been hugely popular. So I thought, why didn't he wait? Why didn't he do that? It was obvious that he, that, that would, would have been fine. And there were other weird things he did. You know, he, he insisted on keeping loads of crusty old advisors that all hated him and gave him all the wrong advice. And he did everything wrong um, he possibly could have done. It was almost as if he wanted to lose the throne. And then I thought, oh, wait, hang on. But he did. So this is what it was all about. So it was only by looking at the whole story from a different angle that I realized that that's, that's what was the intention. But, and so, that, so the more I read into it and the more I understood what, what I thought was going on, the more I sympathized with her because I felt that she was completely caught up in this escalating situation over which she had no control at all. And I felt more, I'm more sympathetic for her. I'd always felt sorry for her because I felt she was badly treated. But I, I got more and more and more um, involved in her, in her character. And now I'm completely obsessed with her, basically. <laughs> <laughs> is, um, is that what you think you want people to relate to when they sit down and read this book? Because sometimes yeah. it might feel like a fairy tale romance, but this, there's some real world like practical yeah. elements to this. 
Yeah, it is. But it is a romance, too. I mean, I think they were completely crazy about each other. And they were crazy about each other for all kinds of reasons. I mean, for the, for the reasons I've already outlined, that she was American and she was not sycophantic. And also she really encouraged him. He was really keen. He was a kind of Harry. It was a kind of, you know, in some ways, it's a bit Harry and Meghan-ish in that, you know, he wanted to modernise the royal family and he wanted to make them more relatable. And so he was a kind of, I guess, a bit woke. And, and she was, um, you know encouraging him this and encouraging him towards progressive causes and she thought he could really do this but um and that the 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 british monarchy could be updated i mean the sad truth is it's absolutely impossible to update the british monarchy you can do a bit of tweaking but you absolutely can't fundamentally change the fact that it's an unbelievably old-fashioned institution i mean and that's the point of it you know it's completely traditional it's completely impossible to fit that into a sort of 21st century uh, sort of scene because it's it, it completely re- relies on the fact that you know there's there's one person up here and there's everybody else down there and that's just the way it is but they, i think um she wanted to help him realize this dream of of, of of modernizing it so and she was the only person who did and he used to say to her oh wallace you're the only person who's ever really taken an interest in my work and you know he sort of appreciated that and relied on that so yeah I, I i wanted to i want people to, to to relate to her as 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 a different character from the way history has painted her but also that there was more to her she was more interesting more engaging sort of funnier more generous um more interesting woman than than she's given credit for mm, that's amazing um where did you start your research process you talked about the letters her personal letters that yeah yeah I mean as I said I I really started with that incident with with, the railway station and then I started to look um I just read through I just read everything I read I read the kind of horrible versions of her and then I sort of read the I just you know her letters her autobiography which is very funny and his Edward's autobiography which is called the King's Story which is really funny too um but they but but quite touching. I mean, she's fairly frank about things. She wrote this hilarious. It's got the most amazing title. It's called "The Heart Has Its Reasons," and it's Wallace's autobiography. And it it deals with her childhood in Baltimore, her and her birth in the Blue Ridge Mountains. It's all it's and and her childhood and the schools she went to and the people that she knew. So it's really interesting about an early twentieth century American childhood. So. And, and I looked at that, but a bit I was most interested in, as I say, is this when she comes to London and the two worlds collide. So that's where I really began with her own accounts. And then I looked into all the usual um, biographies and autobiographies and histories of the time. And, and crucially, as a, her own letters, which are very illuminating, um, particularly about the abdication. And, and, you know, came fairly late on the scene. I mean, I don't think they were discovered until the 80s or published until the 80s. And there have been quite a few nasty um, biographies of her written in the 70s. So, you know, there was a, a sort of a, a, the story, the, the, the real story changed. The kind of um, material available became, um, well, was different as, as, as you went through the, the decades. So, so, yeah, it was basically those things. Yeah. And we talked about a lot of your um, favorite pieces or most interesting pieces to talk about. Was there something that you just like hated writing? It was hard to get through and you were like, come on, girl, get it together. Oh, well, in the, in the book, mm-hmm. um, I have to say uh, one of the things, one of the bits that I really struggled with because uh, she, she didn't, she had a kind of fairly complex relationship with her mother. 
and um, who she she blamed for because one of I mean, Wallace is always um, one of the people who are critical of her will say, "Oh, she's greedy. She's acquisitive." Um, and you know, he gave her all these jewels, and and she was, you know, she made him spend all his money on on jewels for her. But one of the, if one of the reasons for her insecurity with money was that she had this absolutely terrible childhood where her mother who was a bit sort of um she I think she was a well-meaning woman but she she was a bit sort of hopeless with money she was hopeless with work and they they sort of went from boarding house to boarding house it was very insecure and I when when her mother died I had the scene when she's sort of sitting at her mother's deathbed and I did find that a bit hard going (laughs) It's quite hard to find a sort of really sad deathbed scene. I think that was the kind of worst of it, really. But otherwise, I, I really loved um, writing all the party scenes. I love writing the, the, the scene set at Fort Belvedere, which is the, uh, pr- the prince's sort of party castle in, in Windsor Great Park. And, and they, you know, all the sort of London of the 1920s and 30s, really glamorous, really fun. I really enjoyed all that. And I enjoyed all the drama of the abdication and her slowly finding out what was going on. Um, but um, yeah, I think that that particular scene, I think, was the one I wrote rewrote the most. Yeah, the death scene with her mother. <laughs> well, I am so excited for this book, and I'm so excited for all of our listeners to read it because we talk about Wallace all the time. Uh, so I'm so glad that she's a heroine. I'm so glad that she's a heroine. In the, I, I think she's a real heroine. Yeah. yeah, she's been very badly treated by the British. It's terrible, but I think she was a, a great woman. Yes. And I think, you know, I think that we should be putting statues up to her here because, you know, she was the woman who, as you say, without her, the queen wouldn't be the queen. I mean, you know, she shouldn't be vilified. She should be celebrated. Right, right. She's yeah. the notion. Exactly. It's because <laughs> of her. If she hadn't come along, I mean, you know, who knows what would be going on. Yeah, nothing good. Where can people find you? Where can they find your book if they want to go out and buy it so they can read it for yeah. themselves? Oh, great. Well, it's, it's, it's published by Barclay. So, um, and you can get it pretty much anywhere. Uh, but I'm on, I'm, I'm online. Um, I'm uh, on Facebook and I'm on Instagram and I've got my website, which has got the links to all these things, which is wendyholden.net. So if you go in there, you'll, you'll find all the links to everything else. Awesome. Well, it has been a pleasure talking to you today. Thank you. And to you post your cocktail and let everybody drink it and sit around and read your book in front of a nice winter fireplace. Wonderful. Thank you. Well, it's been a real pleasure. And it's such a joy to see Baltimore going on behind you. It's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Ali. Well, we keep in touch and we can't wait to see what amazing books you have coming out next. listening to her story on the rocks we are independently produced by 1986 entertainment and proudly recorded in baltimore maryland if there's a woman in history you would like us to cover you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com you can also message us on twitter or instagram we post all of our cocktail recipes on tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us see you next week bye